lot of people get no further in life than the lynch. They, they develop their inner powers. They do their jobs well. Do you know they try to live as if nobody else lives in the world but themselves? And they use everybody as mere tools to get to where they are going. They don't love anybody but themselves. And the only kind of love that they really have for other people is utilitarian love. You know, they just love people that they can use. A lot of people never get beyond the first dimension of life. They use other people as mere steps to which or by which they can climb to their goals and their ambitions. These people don't work out well in life. <laughs> well, first off, it is a foolish preacher who tries to go up right after the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and tries to make sense. Uh, but, but as we celebrate this, this great man this weekend, um, I, I want us to take some time to really think about what he was trying to say there. That too often we only concentrate about the length of our lives and and never its breadth, never its depth, its, its fullness. Then he would go on to say that there are some folks, uh, too many folks in this world of ours, who in their drive for success and fame, they, they see others just as pawns, just as mere tools, steps on the grand staircase of life, taking them higher and higher and higher, richer, more powerful, more successful. But the good preacher would remind us that nature has a law called gravity. And that what goes up must come down. Don't be fooled, he would remind us, the Bible says. Don't be fooled, God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. And so this morning, as we return to this pros and cons sermon series that we started last week, and that's what I want us to think about. I, I want us to think about the relationships of our lives. Those people that we know, those, those people that we use, those, those people that we try to avoid. Because there's little else in life that has the sort of influence, the sort of impact on us as those people with whom we associate, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, they hold tremendous sway over us. They can bring us up. They can drag us down. They can sharpen us or, or dull our emotional and spiritual senses. Let's be honest this morning. All of us probably have people in our lives who do us no benefit. People who use us, people who walk on us, people who make us more negative. People who, who tempt us into playing with things that we know that we ought not. People who lure us into the darkness rather than inspiring us to the light. This morning I want us to think about our relationships the ups and downs of connecting, of, of making new friends and of letting old friendships go unchecked. 
And so as we continue on, it's like I said last week, if this notion of, of pros and cons, if it sounds familiar, especially to those of us who are fans of late night TV, if it sounds familiar, it probably should. Because we stole the idea right off of something that Jimmy Fallon does on The Tonight Show. Uh, but, but like we said last week, there's a whole lot of truth in it. That for every good thing that we want to do, for, for every good thing that we actually end up doing, there's always pushback. There's always resistance. For every pro, there is a con. For, for every dream, there's a nightmare. For every hope, a fear. For every angel, a demon trying to shout it down. There's always, always resistance. And so just like we did last week, taking our cue from Mr. Fallon, we sat down and we came up with some pros and cons of connecting. And I'll, I'll offer the same caveat, the same warning as I did last week. Y'all remember, y'all please, pretty please remember that he's got an entire like, team, he's got an entire crew of paid professional comedy writers who make this junk up for him. You've just got some preachers who think that we're funnier than we really are uh, coming with this stuff. So uh, we came up with a list of the pros and cons of connecting. Here, let's take a look at the first one. A pro of connecting with new people. We can discover that others may not be entirely wrong. Hey, you know, other people may have good opinions and ideas too. Uh, but the con of that is we may discover that we aren't entirely right. It's a danger. And again, not so much funny, it is just simply true. Uh, the next one, a pro of connecting with folks, finding someone who will point out the spinach between your teeth. The con, finding someone who will point out your every flaw. And honestly, we probably all have at least one person in our life who takes, uh, who sees it as their mission, their God-given mission to, you know, help us in every facet of life. And we know how we feel about those people. Uh, Pro, finding a wider circle of friends with whom we can share our life. The con of that is that we know that circles sometimes become triangles. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, this idea, this notion of triangling actually comes from the counseling world, from the counseling field. Uh, imagine it this way. Say you're in a relationship, and a lot of us probably have relationships or associations where there are three of us. There's person A, person B, person C. How often has it been that you, person B, have person A come to you to talk about person C. Then person C comes to you, person B, to talk about person A, and there you are in the center, torn, struggling. What, what do you say? How do you handle it? There's all this tension, all this anxiety going around this triangle. Um, that's what it is to be triangled. Circles sometimes become triangles. Pro of having new friends, someone else to chat about the weather. Um, con? I'm mountain cedar. Um, we had to mention, I, I know God created it for a purpose. I, I'm, I'm certain of that. I just don't know what it is right now. Um, so, Mount Cedar. But then we thought, oh, okay, there's something of a little football game going on this afternoon. Um, so we came up with a couple pros and cons of connecting over football. A pro, sharing a high five with a good buddy after a touchdown. The con, watching them try to do their own end zone dance at the same time. It's just embarrassing. Uh, just, okay. Uh, a pro, today it won't be seven degrees at Jerry World like it would have been up at Lambeau. However, a hot dog will still cost us 15 bucks. Um, and then finally, and this is actually true, having a late game increases church attendance. Um, but the reality, the con of it, is we still have to play the Packers. Um, for 
I mean, you don't have to laugh at that one. Uh, for, every, for every desire that we have to do something good, for every desire that we have to, to do something new, to do something better, for every desire that we have to do something different, there's always fear. There's, there's always this, this little voice in the back of our head saying, why risk it? Just, just play it safe. Just keep things the same. And I think we see a marvelous picture of that in our scripture for this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings this morning. So open your Bibles to 2 Kings, or if you have a Bible app on a cell phone, maybe you have a tablet with you this morning, go ahead and, and turn it on. Again, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 20 this morning. Now, if you've got your Bibles and you're not really sure where 2 Kings is, because I think in... My 15 years here, I think I've preached on this, preached out of 2 Kings maybe three times. It's not one of the more popular books to preach from. Um, 2 Kings is in the first half of the, of the Old Testament, so it's there before Psalms. Uh, if you're flipping through, there is a section of First and Second books. So First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We're going to be in 2 Kings this morning, chapter 20, looking at verses 12 through 19. And this is what we read. It says, at that time came Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them. And he showed them all, the, all of his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices, the precious oil, his, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house and, and in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah, and he said to him, where did these men say, or what did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah answered, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. And Isaiah said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that's in my house. There is nothing in all my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day all shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good for he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days... I know it's kind of a, a bizarre scripture uh, for us to pick. Um, and, and maybe we just need a little context. Maybe we, need, we really need to know what's going on here. Um, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He, he ruled Judah for 29 years. He ruled in that time period whenever the 700 B.C.s collided with the 600s. Um, and so 718 to 680 B.C., sometime in, in that range. And and he's considered to be one of the great kings of Judah. He was a faithful man, successful man. He, he worked with the prophet Isaiah, and together they, they led forth some, some brilliant, some sweeping religious reforms. He, he brought the nation back to God. He was a great military commander. In fact, there's one story where Hezekiah was leading the army and and the army started to lose, and he shouts out, he prays to God, and God hears him. And God turns the tides. 
Hezekiah wins this miraculous, incredible victory. He's a great king. But then he gets sick. Hezekiah is dying. He, he knows he's dying. And, and again, he calls out to the Lord. And again, God hears his prayer and God heals him. God promises him 15 more years to his life. But something happens to Isaiah. There in the midst of all of his success, something happens to him. It's like it, it somehow goes to his head and, and he loses all perspective. His focus, his priorities get all out of whack and, and he starts to forget about people. He forgets to... He starts to forget about the relationships, the, the connections that he has with the people all around him. That's what we see in our scripture for this morning. The king of Babylon had, had heard of Hezekiah's great success. He'd, he'd heard of his illness. So the king of Babylon sends envoys. He sends messengers to Judah. He sends them with a personal note from himself. He sends a, a personal note from the king of Babylon. He, he sends a gift and Hezekiah is, he is head over heels excited. He is, he is elated at this because the king of Babylon is the most important, the most prominent. He's the most powerful person in the world at that time. And he's surprised, he's, he's overjoyed that such a bigwig, that such a, a player on the world scene would even know who he is, much less that he would take the time to notice or, or send a note or send a gift. And in his excitement, he, he gets all fired up. And maybe, maybe fueled by a little of the, of the big head complex, um, Hezekiah starts to show off. And he shows these envoys everything. He shows them the treasuries. He shows them the storehouses. He, he talks with them about military strategy. He, he starts to tell them military secrets. Shows them where the sacred oil is kept. There's, there's not a state secret that he doesn't share with these Babylonians. And, and Isaiah, the great prophet, Isaiah, the great preacher, comes to the king. He gets word of it. And he comes to King Hezekiah and he says, Hezekiah, what have you done? Don't you know that these Babylonians, the Babylonians are not your friends. The day will come when they're going to attack us. And they're going to drag your sons off into slavery and and Hezekiah, you've given them the blueprint to do it. You've given them the blueprint for our destruction. And here's the shocker. Hezekiah, this, this righteous man, this, this faithful man, this man heard of God. Hezekiah, this successful man, upon hearing Isaiah's words, upon hearing Isaiah's indictment, he says, okay. He says, Isaiah, what you're telling me is that none of this is going to happen until after I'm dead and gone. He says, none of this is going to happen until my sons are sitting on the throne. Isaiah, what you're telling me is that I can live out my days in peace and security and prosperity? Okay, sounds good to me. Where do I sign? Isaiah, you've got a deal. Somewhere along the way in, in all of his success... Hezekiah's focus, it, it went all out of whack. He wasn't focusing on the relationships that he was ruining. He, he wasn't focusing on the heartache and the heartbreak that he was planning. 
He wasn't focusing on the people that he was using and, and tossing aside. He was focusing on himself. He was focusing on the promise of peace right now without, huh, without giving any sort of credence, without giving any sort of thought to the ripples of war that he had just thrust into the future. His focus was all wrong. His priorities were all wrong. I mean, he had just signed his very own kid's death warrants. And he didn't shed a tear. His priorities, his kingdom, his family, his heart was out of whack. And in honor of this, this newfound relationship that he had with the king of Babylon, this, in honor of this new relationship that he had now with the, the most powerful person on earth, he trashed the relationship that he had with the most powerful person in all creation. He turned his back on God. He turned his back on the very God that has extended his life, the very God that had renewed his life. And, and friends, I wonder about us. I wonder how often our priorities are out of whack. How, how often is it that, that even after weighing the pros and cons of our relationships, how often that, that even then we still end up making the wrong choices? How often do we let wealth, and success, and vanity, and ego, how often do we let the promise of that, that upcoming promotion tempt us into stealing time away from those people in our lives who should be more important, who should be more valuable than money? And as we think about our relationships, as we still keep on making our plans about who we want to be and what we want to do in this new year, in these, in these days of 2017. I want us to consider this quote that someone reminded me of uh, just, just this past week. Uh, last year, uh, Derek Bennett brought it to my attention. I had written it down, and somewhere I had misplaced it. And then this past week, someone else had reminded me of it, and, and it just haunts me. And I think we need to hear it again. Uh, Rudyard Kipling once said this. The world will tell you to be greatly concerned about money and position and glory. But then someday you're going to meet a person who cares for none of these things. Then you'll know how poor you are. A drive for success. Our, our fear of loneliness. I think both in equal measure, lead us to make some really poor relationship choices. Spending too little time with those people that, that we ought and spending too much time with those people that we ought not. Like trading diamonds for fool's gold. And I read this story about, about two months ago now, I guess, and I think it plays to this point. In uh, 1961, there were these, these two brothers, uh, James and Tom uh, Moynihan. Um, they, they lived up north somewhere. And uh, they got together in 61, and they formed a partnership. They, they went into business with each other. For $500, they bought uh, a local pizza restaurant. They, they, they bought this little pizza joint and started working it. But about eight months after they, they started this business, James got the bright idea. He wanted to sell his share, his, his stake in this business, and he took the money, and he went out, and he purchased a Volkswagen Beetle Ooh, in the early 60s. He went out and, and, and purchased this Beetle. Now, I want you to, to fast forward 38 years. 
Tom Moynihan, the, the, the man who, who kept in the business, Tom Moynihan, he comes to the point that he wants to retire. And he ends up selling a majority of his stake in the company back. Um, and as you can imagine, he, he sold it for a little bit more than what a, a 1961 VW Beetle was worth. Um, in fact, Tom Moynihan ended up selling 93% of his stock for $1 billion. See, for the immediate benefit of a, VW, of a VW Beetle, James Moynihan had passed up his opportunity to, to own a slice, the, the long-term benefit of owning a slice of Domino's Pizza. He gave it up for a bug. And, and, and the thing is, I think we do the same thing. We do ourselves an awful lot of harm when we fail to consider the long view of our decisions, when we fail to consider the long view of our relationships. The decisions that we make today send ripples far into the future, and today's prones have a nasty way, a nasty tendency of becoming tomorrow's cons if we are not careful. In fact, did, did any of y'all see the, the post-game interview? that Coach uh, Dabo Sweeney gave after winning the, the national championship in football this past week. It was an amazing, an amazing interview. I've never seen anything like it. Um, there he was, just won the, 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 the national championship, living out his dream, living out probably every coach's dream to be hoisting that, that trophy up. He was at, literally, he was at the top of his game. But do you remember what he said was the key to their success? Do you remember what he said was the, the key to them winning? Did you say it was having a great quarterback? No, that's, that's, that's not what he said. Um, did you say it was having a, a perfectly executed defensive strategy? No, he didn't say that either. He said they won because they loved each other. I've never heard a coach say anything like that. In fact, thinking back, I don't know that I've ever heard a, a coach say the word love. <laughs> he said they won because they loved each other. There he was at the height of his success. There he was at the height of his personal and professional success. And he was thinking about his kids. He, he was thinking about his players. He would go on later to say that the value of life, the true value of life is found in relationships. Not in results and not in riches. And the thing is, I think we know that, you and I. We've been taught that for, for years and years. We know that. At least that's what we know that we're supposed to say when someone asks. We know that our priority flowchart should look something like faith, then family, then friends, then fitness, and, and then finances. In fact, I never heard it put quite like that, and, and I love it. Uh, uh, I think Peyton Mays uh, sent it through the pipeline this week. I love that. Faith, then family, then friends, then fitness. No, just personal health, mind, body, soul, our own fitness. And then lastly... Our finances, we know that. We, we know that's what we're supposed to say, but I wonder, I, I honestly wonder how well we do living that. So easy to say, incredibly difficult, especially in our area, especially in our parish, it's hard to live that. Incredibly hard to live that. And it has everything, everything to do with our decisions. It has everything to do with the choices that we make. It has everything to do with us doing what Hezekiah failed to do. Friends, it has everything to do with us guarding 
our treasures. And so in the little bit of time that, that we have left this morning, I want us just very quickly, I want us to consider the pros and cons of the relationships that we have. And, and to help us, you all know I love my little charts. I came up with this chart to help us dis dis distinguish between what might be a healthy relationship and, and what relationship might need to be winnowed out. Uh, relationships that we might need to tweak with the wisdom and power of the Spirit. And so uh, here we go. The difference between relationships, relationships that we need to be maybe a little wary of, relationships that we need to shun, and then relationships, those healthy uh, people in our lives. Relationships will make us bitter. They'll gravitate towards the negative. Uh, and we just kind of get stuck there in the darkness. Relationships, however, make us better. They insist upon drawing us to the light. Um, relationships will leave us the same. They insulate us from change, whereas relationships, healthy relationships, will make, us, will make a difference. They will make us different. They'll polish us. They'll sharpen us. They'll hone us. I can't help but to think about the proverb that says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. We need people like that in our lives. Relationships are made up of enablers. Those people who, who, who give us credence, who, who will justify who it is that, that we end up becoming. Those things that we say, those things that we do, those things that we want to do. They give, us, they give us carte blanche to just to be that. Whereas a real relationship is made up of challengers. People who provoke us. People who will tell us what we need to hear, not necessarily just what we want to hear. People who will stretch us. People who put a mirror up to our face and say, is this who God really created you to be? Is this really something that honors Jesus Christ? Is this worthy of the cross? We need folks like that in our lives. Relationships are easy. They're easy. They ask very little of us. Whereas relationships, um, if they're created, if they're made up of challengers, they're going to be challenging. Um, they're going to hurt sometimes. And it's worth it. Relationships are haphazard, they're safe, they, they ask very little of us. Whereas a real relationship, a healthy relationship, it's going to require time. It requires a personal investment on our part. A relationship is worth very little, whereas a relationship is worth the risk. And it is a risk. I know that we've probably all been hurt by going out there, for sticking our necks out there on the line, walking out there on that limb, trusting someone. And then being hurt, backstabbed, betrayed. But to find good people in our lives, after, you know, a season of discernment, it's worth the risk to find people that will that, help us emerge and grow into the people that Jesus needs us to be. Relationships uh, are built on destroying a common enemy. And I told the 930 crowd, destroying may be uh, too strong a verb there, but it's definitely built on having a, of having a common enemy. Um, I can't help but think of, uh, it's the Gospel of Luke that tells us that Herod and Pilate were enemies before the crucifixion. But then together they could agree upon and they, be, they became friends based upon their common hatred, their, their common necessity to get rid of Jesus. Relationships are built upon having a common enemy. What, what is it the old Sanskrit proverb says? Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's not a healthy way. That's, that's not a healthy foundation for, for relationships in our lives. Real relationships are built on pursuing a, a, a common interest and a common goal and a common faith. 
something bigger than, than any one of us. It's, it's important for us to find that in folks. Relationships, they point us to our wants. And in so doing, they point us away from God. And it doesn't happen just overnight. I don't think Hezekiah went from this righteous, faithful, successful man into becoming kind of this, this egotist overnight. No, it's sneakier than that. It happens one degree here, two degrees there. Over the course of weeks and months and years, it happens slowly until one day we wake up and we realize that we don't even know who we are anymore. And we're doing things that we promised ourselves we would never do. That's how it creeps in on us. Relationships point us to our wants, where real relationships point us to God's needs. Relationships typically just are built on, on us saying, I, I, I don't want to be lonely. And we've all been there. We all know that feeling, how empty, how cold, how meaningless, how despairing it can feel to be lonely. But a relationship, especially a relationship with God, it, it reminds us that we can be alone. Without being lonely. Friends, it's about guarding our treasures. It's about knowing that we can be alone without being lonely, without doing something stupid, without doing something foolish, without letting darkness into our lives. We can guard our treasure. Because the thing is, whenever we seek only for ourselves, when we choose only for ourselves, the only thing that we will ever find is emptiness. The only thing we'll ever find is loneliness and meaninglessness and sorrow and pain. But my friends, if we will choose Christ, if we will seek Christ, then we will surely find him. And every other good thing with him. So, friend, guard your treasure. Swallow your pride. I know that Coach Sweeney was right. That the value of a life, at least the, the value of a life worth living, is found not in results, it's not in riches. The value of a life worth living is found in relationships. As we pray. Oh God, this morning... We come and, and we have to say that in this world that, that you've created, this world that you've plopped us in, so often we, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to act. We know that we don't want to be lonely. And so a lot of times we just kind of meet folks halfway. Halfway between what you want us to do and what you call us to do and halfway what this world expects of us. And yet we find ourselves triangled yet again between this world and our flesh and this world and, and you. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the power, that you would, that you would give us this discernment, the wisdom of the, of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, that we might see, that you might take off the blinders that, that maybe we have, we have self-imposed upon ourselves. And help us to see the relationships, those people in our lives, God, that, that we need to bolster. And, and also those relationships, God, that, that, that maybe need to be winnowed out. But in all things, God, we pray that our relationship with you, that our relationship with you bought by the blood of Christ, that it, that it would come, that it would be strong, that it would be the foundation of everything that we do, of everything that we want, of everything that we say. God, come to us and encircle us and, and wrap us in your life. 
because we're tired of playing the games of trying to fill the the voids in our lives with with just more emptiness because it just makes us more despairing it it just sinks us further and further and deeper and deeper into that hole and and Lord we pray this morning that you would come and that you would show us the way out show us the way out of the darkness show us our way back to you so God come and and take away our pride and give us a sense of brokenness give us a sense of humility Take away our fear and give us a boldness. Give us a, a power that, that exists only through you. God, come to us and, and take away our laziness. Take, take away our apathy and help us to care. Help us to care about those things that you care about. So God, turn our eyes. Turn our eyes away from this world and onto you. Help us to turn our eyes away from all of those things that we want and, and onto all of those things that you call us to do and all those all those things that you call us to be. For God, we abandon ourselves and we commit ourselves to you in in the precious name of Christ because it's in that name that, that we pray. Amen.